0: As we continue in this series, standing strong in the last days, we come over a important passage of Scripture here, and I've entitled this "Qualities of a Life That Endures." Qualities of a Life That Endures. You know, I oftentimes I've been a Christian since 1972. I wasted my first year of my Christian life; didn't use it for Christ, and then I uh, gave in to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to conviction of the Spirit. And I believed that God wanted me to go to Bible college. I went to Bible college during that time. I got involved in ministry and and I've, I've never looked back. Now, is every day easy in a Christian life? No, but it is worth it. It is worth it. And yet at the same time, knowing and seeing all of that, at the time when I was in Bible college, our Bible college at the time, Florida Bible College, had the largest enrollment of any Bible college in the country Now, it didn't stay that way because of of, uh, failure in some ways in the lives of leadership. But with that in mind, you know, looking back, it's very interesting because I've known a lot of Christians during this period of time in my Christian walk and in my Christian life. And uh, some succeed and are still going strong for Christ. Some do not and they've just kind of fallen by the wayside and they're, they're living their lives like they're lost or at best just simply a moral person. What went wrong there? What went wrong or what's going wrong? Can I put it that way? I think this passage kind of addresses some of these issues and we're going to look not so much of the, the negative of what went wrong, but how to keep it right how to keep from falling off the road, how to keep from getting sidetracked, how to keep from going into neutral. And when all is said and done, when you get to the end of your life, you look back and you say, you know what? I just, I did not run a good race. I did not run a good race. Well, God wants us all to run good races, doesn't he? And so this is uh, given today, this message with a a desire that we would all take these things to heart and apply them so that we all, and can I say not only all in just individually, but all of us together as a local church, run the race successfully and be fruitful and have a vibrant, excited Christian life and a fruitful life that will be full of meaning and significance when all is said and done. Now, again, why do some Christians live a fruitful and successful Christian life and others don't? Now, remember now, that's not a matter of getting saved or staying saved or proving you're saved. It's just a matter of fact. Some do and some don't, and there's a lot of variation in between. Well, it's a matter of discipleship. Now, discipleship is not the same as salvation. A lot of people confusing that today. As a matter of fact, a very popular message, Lordship Salvation, it's called, says that you have to live a life where Jesus is the master of your life, and if you don't live that life, you're not saved and you're not going to heaven when you die. Now, that is a false gospel. It is erroneous. It is a curse by God, or they'll call it, instead of Lordship Salvation, they'll call it Discipleship Salvation. It's the same idea that you not only have to believe, but you also have to live a faithful life if you want to get to heaven. No, friend, the Bible is clear that we're not saved by works. More about that in just a moment. What we are talking about, though, is simply this. All those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, does God have a life for us to live? The answer to that is yes, he does. Does God have a will for my life once I'm saved? Is it more than just being saved? The answer to that is yes, He does, and yes, it is. It's more than that. He wants something more for our lives. That's why he leaves us here once we're saved. Listen, if God so loves us as his children, then why doesn't he just, once we get saved, it's like, now you can come home because your sins are gone, and so let's come home. And as soon as we get saved, he takes every one of us as soon as we get saved. Well, it doesn't work that way. He leaves us here for a reason. And that reason is ministry. So why do some start out right and then fall by the wayside later on? Well, let's look at it. Paul continues talking and trying to strengthen and encourage this young pastor who he has led to the Lord and has discipled for many years, Timothy. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. Now the word right there, the beginning, thou therefore. In other words, in view of the battle that there will be in standing for the truth as we have already seen in chapter one, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In view of the difficulties there will be in faithfully living for Christ in a fallen world. That's where we find ourselves, right? It's getting darker and the challenges are going to be greater. So what do we do? He doesn't say be weak. He doesn't say be cowardly, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, cowardice, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So it only makes sense, he says, be strong. But how do we do that? Is that just simply, only, a matter of the human will? No, it's more than that. And this is key to understand. Now, if you're a new Christian, you need to listen very carefully to this today. How do we do that? We do it by faith. In other words, just like you got saved by faith, by trust in the Lord, we live as Christians by faith, by trust in the Lord. Now, I'll explain that because that just kind of sounds like Christianese, okay? Well, that's a nice term. What does it mean? Huh? I don't know what it means. Well, let's, let's look at it. How do we do it? We do it by faith. We live by faith. Or put another way, we live our lives by depending on the Lord. See, faith or trust is what brings God's grace. Now, this is an incredibly important Bible truth. Faith or trust in the Lord is what brings God's grace. If I could use the term, it activates the grace of God in a person's life. I'll give you an example. Salvation itself, getting saved. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 And nine, what does it say? It says, for by grace are ye saved. What's the next phrase? Through faith. You are not saved by the grace of God until you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is what brings the grace of God into a person's life. Okay, and the grace of God, grace, God's undeserved kindness or favor is unmerited favor. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we can earn. Now this issue of salvation for by grace, you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's not faith in ourselves. It's faith in Christ that brings salvation. That's why people who say, well, you need to live a faithful Christian life. You want to make, make it to heaven. That's faith in yourself. You'll never be saved by grace until you forget about faith in yourself and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because he's the savior. For by grace, you say through faith, faith in Christ, Jesus Christ, what he's done for you. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we understand we cannot save ourselves. Okay, we love to use the illustration here. This representing you and me and my wallet, our sin. Here we are. God loves us. He hates our sin. You cannot go to heaven with even one sin. Heaven's a perfect place. All your sin has to be gone of your whole life. Not even one sin can get in. And we've all sinned. Therefore, we're all disqualified. God says our sin must be paid for. If we do it, we're going to spend forever separated from God in the lake of fire, ultimately. For all eternity, we will be suffering. Okay? Separated from God. God says, I don't want that for you. Okay, and you notice we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, there's nothing we can do to work this sin off. That's why Jesus came, this hand representing him. He came into the world, God in the flesh, lived the perfect life, went to the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took that sin of ours upon himself. He paid for every single sin you've done or ever will do wrong, paid it all, Died, was buried, rose from the grave, and he says, If you simply put your faith in him, he will save you by his grace. The moment you trust Christ, you are saved by the grace of God. That payment he made, the moment you trust Christ, it's good on your behalf. You are forgiven, you're cleansed, he gives you everlasting life. Now, if he is the only way I can be saved, then it makes no sense to say, like some do, well, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, but you also have to live a faithful life or you'll, you'll lose it. Well, then you, again, you're back to your works, trying to be saved by your works or be kept by your works. You can't be saved by works, you can't be kept by works, either before or after faith. Faith alone and Christ alone brings salvation. Now listen, Jesus said... Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath possesses that moment everlasting life. Now, if I trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, he says the moment I do, I have everlasting life. That is life eternal that will never stop. Now, if that is true, then why do I have to do something else to get everlasting life if I already have everlasting life? The religionists, the legalists, the lordship salvation people. Well, no, you have to do this. Do you have to do these other things too? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, you're telling me if my Bible was everlasting life. Okay. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Not that easy. That's that greasy grace. That easy believism stuff. Okay. You have to do other things too. If you, if you want to have everlasting life. Wait, though, you not you're missing it, friend. What do you mean? I already have everlasting life. No, 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 wait. Jesus said I did. The moment I put my faith in him, he says, I have. Present tense, everlasting life. So you're telling me I have to do something to get what I already have. Something's not right. No, friend, that other message is a false one. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let's go back to 2 Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our first point is this. Grace is strong on our behalf when we depend on the Lord. This is what we need to live the Christian life. We need the grace of God. Listen, this is not how it works. New believers, here's what new believers think most of them, because we're conditioned. Just like before you're saved, you thought your works would save you, your performance would save you. People think, okay, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. But now after I'm saved, it's sheer willpower that I will live the Christian life. And you know what that is? That is faith in yourself. Romans 7, Paul had to learn this. He says, I try to do good and I fail and The things I don't want to do, I do them. And the things that I should do, I don't do. Oh, I'm a wretched man. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same one who saves us eternally when we trust in him, he saves us by his grace, is the same one who will empower us practically daily when we trust in him and yes, then obey his word. But we do it, we obey by faith. We don't obey by faith in ourselves, we obey by faith in him. And he pours out his grace into our lives and that unmerited kindness brings with it the power to obey and to run the race successfully. This is how it works, and it's something we have to learn as believers. Grace is strong on our behalf as we depend on the Lord. We become strong in grace by walking by faith, faith in the Lord and His Word. Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about spiritual warfare, and that is what we're in, folks. Make no mistake about it. And let me tell you something, the battle is not going to cool off anytime soon, It's going to escalate. It's going to get more fierce. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. It's an invisible war. We can see with our eyes, the results of the spiritual war, but we don't actually see the people involved in the spiritual war, so to speak, as far as the angels and demons and so forth, okay? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that isn't necessarily talking about Washington, by the way. So... Remember, remember, always remember. And I know I say it regularly, but I do it on purpose because never forget the strategy or the agenda of Satan is twofold. Number one, to keep the lost blinded to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded. The minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel, if the gospel is hid, it's hid to those who are lost because those of us who are saved already know it. However, how does Satan keep the gospel blind to the lost? Well, by making sure they don't hear it or by having them believe something that is false that calls itself the gospel. A counterfeit gospel. To keep the lost blinded to the gospel. That's why, you know, it's it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me, and, and I probably shouldn't say this, but listen, folks, I've talked to a lot of people here in St. Cloud, and I've talked to a lot of people in St. Cloud that go to evangelical churches in St. Cloud, and I've witnessed to them and I've asked them a question, and there are some churches worse than others. I've asked them this. Oh, you go there. Yeah, we're members over at such and such. Let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, do you know you go to heaven? And they just stare at you. They don't know what to say. Wait a minute. How is it that you go to this big church and you don't even know how to be saved? I don't get that. That's the most fundamental, basic truth. That is the foundation of Christianity. If you don't know how to get to heaven... You're probably not going to heaven. As a matter of fact, you're not going if you don't know how. Do you understand how serious this is? It isn't how big a church is. It's what do they believe? And then based on that, what do they practice? You see, though, Satan wants to keep people lost. He does not mind you going to church that calls itself Christian He does not mind you having a Bible. He does not mind you acting in a religious, moral way. Satan does not mind that with people. What he does not want, he does not want them to understand, hey, I am lost, I can't save myself, and I am trusting in Jesus alone to get me to heaven. That is what he doesn't want them to know. And he will do all he can to hide that message from them. Now, the second part of his agenda is this, to keep Christians from fulfilling the great commission, which is evangelism and discipleship of those that believe. So get the picture. I get saved. I'm a lost person. I get saved. And now Satan says, well, I can't undo that because he has eternal life. He's eternally secure in Christ. But you know what? What I really need to do is I need to make sure he keeps his mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. And so I know what I'll do. I'll give him a false message. I'll influence him to where he starts. If I can't keep his mouth shut, to where he starts telling people something that's not true. That way they believe a false gospel and they really don't get saved. Or I will get him sidetracked or her, sidetracked to where they never share the gospel because their life is just full of stuff. Listen, folks, you may have never heard this before. Spiritually speaking, the American dream is ungodly. Okay? I'd say, well, I don't like that. Would you examine it before you reject the statement? What is a lot of it based on? Materialism. Wealth. That'll make you happy. That's your dream. No, friend, it has turned out to be the nightmare of many people. Because they have worked their whole lives, even Christians, they've worked their whole lives to get it. And they've invested all that time and all those years to get it. And guess what? It's of no value spiritually. And what's the only thing that's going to matter in eternity is what the values of the Bible gives us. It's the only thing that will matter. I want you to keep it in mind. Now, by the way, is there anything wrong with having a nice house? No. Is there anything wrong with having a new car? Okay, ours are both old, but is there anything wrong? Uh, You know, the, the newest car we have is 10 years old now. Is there anything wrong with that? Having a new one? No, there's not. Maybe someday we'll buy another new car. I wouldn't doubt that. But here's the point. Is that what you live for? You got to have a, a bigger house. Why? Well, just eh, tired of it, what we have. We're just going to get a bigger house just to have it bigger. Okay. Now I understand there's issues of investment in and, and this and that. I, I get that. I get that. All I'm saying though is this. Be careful what you do with your time because time is life. And if we live our lives and we never are sharing the gospel with the lost, we are not cooperating with the plan of God. So important. So Satan wants to keep Christians from fulfilling the Great Commission, which is evangelism and discipleship. See, we have the message, and faith comes by hearing, but if no one ever hears the word of faith, the gospel of grace, if no one ever hears that from my lips, then I am playing right into the hand of the devil. And the more Christians that do that, the less lost people hear the message. And the less hear the message the less will be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But he wants us to get sidetracked. Wrong priorities, too busy, majoring on minors. And when I say minors, I'm not talking about people under 18. Okay, minor issues, false goals for your life. Secondly, we need to be strong in God's grace so we can do the work he has ordained for us. Being strong in grace is a prerequisite to fulfilling our ministry. We can only be truly successful by the grace of God. Hold your place here. Look with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Here we see, I am so glad the Lord gave us this verse. It shows us the balance. It shows us the balance of the Christian life. Here is the Apostle Paul who gave us Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and so much, and really was the one who, who wrote probably more than anyone about the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, he's talking about who he was as an apostle, and he says this, but by the grace of God, you notice, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's giving all the credit for who he was, to the grace of God and accomplishing it through his life. For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. God's grace was there. And Paul said, he poured his grace out of my life and it wasn't in vain. Look what he says. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Talking about the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so what does he say? You might say, well, boy, he sounds like he's being arrogant there. No, he gives the credit where credit is due. He says, I labored and I labored hard and I labored a lot and I labored more than many others. But wait a minute. It was all by the grace of God that I have accomplished what I have accomplished. So he understood he would not have been able to do what he had done to this point were it not for God's grace in his life. And how was it? He learned to walk by faith, by trusting obedience in the Lord. And as, he, as we trust the Lord and we step out and then we obey him, trusting him for strength, trusting the grace of God to be poured out on our, on our lives, God pours out that grace, that empowers us, that gives us the ability we need to accomplish the work of God. Anybody in the ministry who's right with God knows, all credit goes to the Lord. All credit goes to the Lord. You might say, wait, well, you've worked. Yeah, you work, but if the work is worth anything, it's God who empowered us and gave us by his grace the ability to accomplish the work that is done and shudder the thought for anybody who thinks, look at me, look at me. Yeah, God can bring you down really quick, really quick. Back to 2 Timothy, verse 2, it says. Now, again, verse 2, and we should link these together. Verses 1 and 2 are inseparable. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's first. And the things that thou has heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. God gives us the grace to do the ministry we have in front of us now look at this our ministry should have a commitment to four groups of believers And I want to speak to every single person in this room today But I especially want to speak to the young adults here today That's under 70 <laughs> Now, honestly, I mean those of you who have younger children you're you're really the ones i'm talking to this morning Those of you who have children still at home? Younger children, children at home. Okay, you notice here, look at it in verse 2. Paul, Paul's ministry of discipleship went to Timothy. Timothy's ministry of discipleship was to go to faithful men. And faithful men, their ministry was to go to others. Folks, this speaks to local church, and this is a multi-generational issue. It is not enough for me. Now, most of you know Pastor Dave, my son-in-law, is going to take over for me one day. Here's the senior pastor of our church. And that's great. And he's, he's fabulous. And the church is going to be, continue to be blessed by God. Okay. No, no doubt about that. I have no doubt, but it cannot stop there. And not only that, listen, those of you of his generation, you better step up to the plate if you want this church to continue. And be effective. Do you understand? Because when those of us who are seniors are off the scene, and this year we lost four seniors. Now granted, most of them were quite a bit older, but but still, I want you to know this is just the way it goes. And the ones who have labored and have been prominent in the past in our church, they are not going to be prominent if the Lord doesn't come back soon. Matter of fact, they're becoming less and less prominent. Some of that by design, by the way. It's on purpose. But here's the point. Those of you who are contemporaries with Pastor Dave, okay, and Laura, you better step up to the plate because the church is in your hands. You need to be thinking about this. You need to be thinking about it. This is serious. Because there are many, many churches that were fabulous and strong and biblical and clear, and in just a matter of a few years, they're down to almost nothing. What happened? It's the next generation did not step up and fill in. Now this is the time for you to do it, by the way. So we need all of you on board, OK? I say well I I, maybe someday see that's wrong priorities no now now's the day now's the day has to be if it's going to succeed and you see it the things that thou has heard of me among many witnesses other people have heard it too you Timothy the same commit thou to faithful men do we have some faithful men in here by the way that's why we have men of God Bible study to help us be faithful men. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou, Timothy. You commit to faithful men. Notice, who then will be able to teach others also? Listen, if any of that breaks down, those under will never get it. We're one generation away from losing everything. I don't know if I can do it. You can. Why? The grace of God. That's what we're seeing here. It's the grace of God. That's why it begins with, you need to be strong in the grace of God because God's grace will empower us, give us the ability, give us the wisdom, give us the skill. But it's grace. So what would cause this to break down and not be fulfilled? A lack of faithfulness by the grace of God. A lack of trusting Obedience, okay? That sounds like an interesting term. I think it's the best description of what God wants. We need to obey what we need to obey as we're trusting the Lord for the strength and ability. Trusting, obedience. Don't talk about walking by faith and living in rebellion and and they go together. They don't go together. For walking by faith, we're submitted, yielded to the Lord, and obedient then to His word. When we grasp how important this is to the Lord, we start understanding the need to walk by faith and obey the Lord. It is a commitment of our very lives to the cause of Christ. Nothing less will do. Nothing less. So our third point, though, as we move on through our text, we see examples of or qualities of the endurance we are to have. Paul tells us how we need to be and what we need to do. And then he says, Let me give you three examples of what I'm talking about. Three qualities that will help us, that will secure a successful run and future. The first thing is we need to be focused on the task at hand. We need to be focused on the task at hand. Now, what is the battle about? Well, this is seen in the life of a good soldier. Our first example is a good soldier. I and mean, what is a good soldier? A good soldier is focused on the task at hand. You look at what soldiers go through, what young men and women go through in boot camp and all the, the rigid and strict and the, sir, yes, sir, and, and all the marching and, and, and sync and all of that, that discipline that's there. And there's a focus. Listen, when you enlist into the service, what do you need to bring with you? Not much of anything right? Oh, I'm going off to boot camp. Yeah. I'm going to bring all the stuff in my bedroom. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're bringing yourself. Okay. Why? You're going to be trained to be a soldier and your superior officer, God, is going to provide all your needs in the meantime. Guess what? That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Verse 3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We must come to grips that as we go to war, there are going to be hardships. There are going to be difficulties. We will suffer trouble at times. When a person goes to war, though, he leaves everything behind. And he looks to his superior to supply all of his needs. And what is that? That's a life of faith. Jesus said, Matthew six thirty three. Listen, these are verses to build your life on. But seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What are those? The daily needs. All those things shall be added unto you. God will take care of it. Okay. Pastor, do you know anybody that, that God has, has done that for? Yes. Yes. I put up two hands, my wife and I. Okay, Us. Listen, if God was not true to his word, it would have been insane for us to leave Florida and come to Minnesota. When people find out over the years, it's, it's amazing. Oh, where did you move here from? Florida. What? What <laughs> would well, we cause you to come up here? Well, it's the will of God. The second example we see is self-discipline. This is seen in the life of an athlete. Verse five: And if a man also strive for the masteries, in other words, you are striving to win. Yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? He he does it according to the rules. We do it according to the word of God. See, careless living will not fulfill God's will for your life. By trust in the Lord, we can master our flesh, and not let it run nor ruin our lives. You talk about any athlete who's serious about what they do, they are disciplined. They are disciplined. They watch what they do with exercise. They watch what they eat. They make sure they get rest, at least the disciplined ones do. Why? So they can strive, so they can be the best they can be. It's the same thing in the Christian life. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 talks about, we won't, because of time, we won't cover these verses, but you can look them up on your own. Well, the first verse, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. Run. But it takes self-discipline. Keeping your body in subjection. Saying, no, I'm not going to do things I know that are wrong because they're going to hurt me. And he says in verse 27, he says, I keep under my body, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. People are saying, "Hey, you can lose your salvation." No, 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 no. Paul, you're you're out of context. You're out of context. Paul is talking about running the race of the Christian life. He's not talking about whether he's saved or not. The word castaway means disqualified. In other words, you don't run by the rules, you'll be disqualified. What? As an athlete, as a runner, not a human being, not as a Christian. Just disqualified. And by the way, this whole idea of self discipline, this would also include getting, not getting involved with the weights of this world. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about let us lay aside every weight. What is a weight? You might say, well, I've got those at home. No, those are, those are the physical ones. What is a spiritual weight? It's a time and thought robber. Okay? It's a time and thought robber. Things that rob you. And hold you back from accomplishing God's will as he would want you to. The third example we see is a farmer. Hard work based on the law of sowing and reaping. This is seen in the life of a farmer. Verse 6, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. The word laboreth means to work to the point of fatigue. Let me ask you a question. Do you or do I work to the point of fatigue for Christ? That's what we ought to be doing. You know, this is a concept that we can't even relate to today within the body of Christ, working to the point of fatigue. But this is what God tells us we should do. The farmer works as hard as he does because he has faith in the natural law of sowing and reaping. Does he not? Why else would he get out in the field and plant seed? He has faith That if he plants a seed, he's going to get a crop. Guess what? We need to have faith that if we plant the seeds of obedience and the seeds of the gospel, we will see fruit come from that. We're going to see a crop. And believing in that and trusting in that principle, it's not only, by the way, a natural law, it's also a spiritual law. If we sow that which is good spiritually, we will get a crop back of that which is good spiritually. If we sow to the flesh and we live carnal lives, we're going to see the fruit of that carnality down the road. Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if if we faint not we don't lose heart We keep going. We keep going. You know what, folks? Galatians 6, 7 through 9 are some verses that God has reminded me over and over again that have kept me in the ministry, kept me in the ministry. Always believing. You know what? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going because God says, I'll reap what I've sown. I've reaped what I'm sown. Just keep planting those seeds. Forget. Don't worry about results. Just keep planting those seeds. And God blesses and God blesses. Why? Because he said he would. That's why. And he'll do the same for all of us, because he's no respecter of persons. Let me challenge you today, though, friend, if you're a Christian, your life is going by, you might say, you know what, I've I've blown it up to this point. I know I'm saved, but I, I haven't lived my life for Christ. I've blown it up to this point. What better time would there be than a new year than to say this year's going to be different by the grace of God? I am going to make a commitment to the Lord, my heavenly father, that I am going to reprioritize my life. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm going to get back on the track and I'm going to run the race successfully. Let me tell you something. You'll be glad and many others will be glad because you will be involved in reaching them for Jesus Christ. Listen, I get emails and, and letters from people who we have, we have led to the Lord. People come out to church. We've led many people. To, we've got a bunch of people here in church right now who've been led to the Lord through this ministry. I don't say that. That's not bragging. I'm just saying this. God's word works. The power's in the gospel. And I get emails regularly from people who say, I know I have eternal life now. Thank you for your ministry. And what is that? It's, it's preaching here and then we've got people who do filming and audio editing and get the message out there to where people are benefiting from it. And God is using that to reach others. If you were to ever ask me, do you have any regrets on what you've done with your life? I would say zero. No, I'm glad I've spent my life doing this. Because this is of eternal value. Do we get it? Eternal. We can do this. And as we work together as a local church, it becomes much more powerful because more people are being faithful. More people are committed. And that just fuels one another. When we see each other being faithful, that just encourages everybody around us. I'd say, well, I can't do everything. Yeah, you're right. You can't do everything, but everybody can do something